I think that's a big issue with She-Hulk, too, in that they they are so worried about playing to the standard superhero demographic that I think it kind of kind of puts a weight on the series that we have so far because she's constantly constantly worried that she's not playing the superhero card right and they spend a lot of the time doing the fourth wall breaking jokes be and having them be about her worried that she's not playing the superhero right. card in her show properly and then um there's the big finale, which I won't spoil too much, but that has a very pointed takedown of how the creators of these Marvel shows often treat their characters. And yeah. even though I did feel like it was all a bit ham-fisted, I think a lot of the She-Hulk material is a little too ham-fisted to be satisfying to me in the way some of the She-Hulk comics have been over the years. I thought it was... Um, I thought it was part of a maturation process for the Marvel shows because so many of the Marvel shows, they don't actually have commentary on what's happening behind the scenes. And I'm sure Marvel takes a lot of that out to make sure that they don't look bad in the public. But I I feel like the real, I feel like the show was a culmination of like, okay, it was it was a show that you had the opportunity for the writers and the creators to kind of be able to talk to all the toxic fans that have yeah. been absolutely insane. Because if you think of the the upward slope where we've been, you know, first it was Wanda and it was just like Tony could be able to do really shitty things, excuse my language, and uh, be looked at as a hero, right? Like. He has done really horrible things and been a horrible human being, but still has that ability to be both. But with Wanda, it was like, there's no way, and she needs to be villainized and and tortured for her being this person, you know, being a a human being who is in pain and her people, her people. Fine. Then you have Sam becoming Captain America. They weren't, and the fact that that show addressed race and I like the fact that, like, Sam was able to have that conversation with Bucky and say, like, Captain, like, Steve Rogers, he thought Sam would be good, but, like, that shows the deficit of so many, like, white liberals who think they're doing the right thing, but don't understand what it's like to be a black man or a person of color in this country. You can't just give me that shield. I don't have the same freedoms and I I have more obstacles to overcome with that shield and what that shield means. And then I love that they brought in the story of the other um, man who who got the um, serum and it shows it talked a lot about race and, and they made fake examples of real life examples of things that have actually happened in this country. And like people did not want to hear that. They didn't want to talk about race. They they're like, these are comic books. We don't, you know, stop being woke. But that's what comic books have been for all these years. What are you talking about? So you have all these examples of like you have Miss Marvel happening and they were just bitching and complaining about that. So I feel like She Hulk was the opportunity and the only show that you probably could get the chance to have those conversations 
and the way that they were able to like make fun of all the guys who were like complaining they they literally turned it on its head to just like say no we're talking about you we're joke we're laughing at you we're talking yeah. to you because it, it and it's not just like the marvel universe it's every single ip you could think of at this point where everything's just been extremely toxic and i i think it's a, an interesting conversation to have to have because back when i was growing up lord of the rings fantasy oh. um dungeons and dragons like all those things were kind of designated to like white male nerdy things even though there have always been people of color there have always been women who have enjoyed those things, but kind of been like that, their own little safe space. And the more these things have become popular, the more that they're expanding. And to the core, a lot of these fantasy and sci-fi worlds have always been inclusive, especially like Star Trek, right? Yes. Oh my God, I hate hearing people talk about the woke Star Trek. Like, no, shut up, you idiots. It's always been that way. <laughs> yes. Always. It's always been super progressive to the point of being like anarchic within the realm of TV. And so I just find it really interesting that people can believe that wizards and witches and people with superhuman strength could exist. But the moment a black person exists in that said fantasy, it's like, no, a woman exists and have powers and be no, like that can't happen. It's fantasy. So what are we talking about? So what you're saying is that you do not want in your fake world to be reminded that we exist, which is insane. And the worst, like, part of it, too, is that so many of these franchises have interesting, empowered women in them. Uh, You mentioned the Justice League Unlimited earlier, and that has some of the best female writing we've ever seen on a superhero cartoon. Huntress, uh, Black Canary, those are characters... And they definitely have a little bit of sexuality to them, but they are de- they are formed characters. Yeah. Like they have control over their powers and their abilities, and they have like attitude, and they don't yeah. they don't take shit from anyone. By the way, you can say shit on this show all you like. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, I'm gl- it's like a, a mix. You know, I feel like this is the first time we're really getting a ton of media that is very diverse, but it's also at the same point, we're getting a lot of pushback for it, for it. And, and that's fine. I think that's what happens with progress. Um, as long as people keep pushing forward with it and we don't start regressing back, you know, and I think that's what's great about our show when we're watching some of these older movies that we love and we realize like, you know, I can watch three or four movies in a row on the show and realize that there's not one single person of color in the movie whatsoever. Or they're yeah. rel- they they in the '90s especially they used to do this like um they call you know colorblind casting or whatever. Yeah. But um also it's just like you'll have a fully white cast, but then you'll have some diversity in the background, but they don't speak, they don't do anything, so it makes it look diverse, but it's not. Yeah. It's just like. 
insane. Um, we talked about it in Scream 2 because obviously Scream 1, nothing. Which, again, I'm not saying that's weird because in that neighborhood, there there's so many very white neighborhoods and something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Not, not out of its world. But when they did Scream 2... They the first scene they they brutally kill off the two black people, and then the the camera guy is black. He survives, and then um, Sydney's best friend dies, and she's black. So like uh-huh. you do a bunch of black people in there, and like eighty uh, percent of them are dead. So yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, not not really, but yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, not really, but it's just like now looking back, you're like, oh my God, what, what were we thinking? Yeah. And even the last few years, like using ironic racism to comment on such things has become a trope that's pushed itself into the ground. Right. Because I think a lot of people in charge who are doing that are maybe enjoying that on two levels in a way they shouldn't, of course. And uh, growing up, I had a lot of that in my life. And of course, a lot of the, a lot of the animation I liked in my life had some of that. Um, I, I do think a lot of stuff has kind of gotten away from super edgelordy humor and that we're definitely going for humor based around character more often than not in not just in like animation but in a lot of other TV shows as well I I think like here's the thing uh, a lot of these comedians are like I can't say what I want blah 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 that's because you were like we were rewarding mediocrity yeah. Comedy and what and this is why I think so many actors that are comedians do well in drama because yeah. there is a, a different level of like intelligence that has to come into play when you are actually very funny, right? Yeah. So that like slapstick humor and just pure like the homophobia that we saw in the like really in your face in the nineties and two thousands where it was just like you know, put a guy in a dress and make fun of them, or make a dude. Just yeah. another dude. What? Yeah. yeah. Just that was it. That was all that they had to do to get a laugh. You know, and now it's just like, okay, it bothered people back then. There were people that were being hurt and inflicted pain from these things, but didn't have the voice. Now that we have social media, they have a voice to be able to say, like, no, I'm not okay with that. And they have the ability to say, I'm not spending my money with this. So I I think people need to stop bitching about, hey, we can't just say, you know, like people need to like relax. No, you probably need to work a little harder to actually tell jokes that are funny. And usually jokes that are funny are things that are relatable to people, things that happen to them. And, yeah. you know, you can't just be a mediocre, like, bruh. Yeah, and yeah. It, you know, it's not working anymore because definitely. You know, you got to yeah. step the game up. That's all it is. I I hate like anti woke comedians because they're people that have been pushing their career on the lowest common denominator of comedy, which is just pure de- de- demeaning like comedy, like comedy that doesn't actually have like good points to make. 
uh, they're the type of comedians that saw Chris Rock bigger and blacker back in the 90s, and they kept running with those ideals, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. But it's been 20, 30 years now, and everyone's pretty much tired of it, except for the worst people. And it, se- <laughs> it seems like a lot of those people still have a good deal of the money, too, as well. So that's another thing we're kind of fighting. But either way, like, now people... People expect characters. People expect humor from those characters, not just cheap humor based on a stereotype or whatever. And if you're going to do a stereotype, you have to find a way to actually subvert it and turn it into something different. Yeah. Like, you can't... You can't just have it be there and it's just like a simple joke anymore. No, people understand the degree to which these stereotypes have created issues in portrayals in media. Like, I still have to have arguments with people about, like, Apu being a frustrating stereotype for a lot of Indian people. And they'll tell me, like, oh, but these Indian people like it. These Indian people are cool with it because that's the only representation they get. And it's like, well, so what? So what if that, like, group of people like it? There's still a whole other group that has been saying for years on end that this fucks over my ability to be taken seriously without bias in the industry. This, like, creates a trope that I have to live with all the time that affects my life no matter what happens and that's the worst part of explaining that type of subtle racism to people is that they they just believe because that representation is there and some people in that community accept it because they don't have anything else that that representation is good yeah you know I always I leave it up to the the, the marginalized groups that it affects, you know, like, yeah. I don't want to hear um, a white female tell me that, oh, that character's okay because some black, like black people are having the discussion within our own communities about it. But if you have the power, stop arguing about whether or not we should have it. That's not really your decision. What you can help control is to get more people of diversity behind the scenes to make it better, you know, yeah. then you'll have full depth of, of character growth. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, it works the same way in real life. Like from a marketing standpoint, I think the marketing team of any company should be the most diverse out of the, any different department. Yeah. Because you are trying to reach a vast amount of different people and you want to make sure one, you're not offending anybody and two, that like everyone's represented. So if you have people on the marketing team coming up with the ads and ideas and it's a diverse group, um, they're going to balance each other out. They're going to check each other on things to make stuff that's quality. And the same can go for the writing team for the people behind the cameras. Like, even like hair and makeup, you know, I, I hear so many actors from like the 90s and 2000s talk about what it was like going on to set and not yeah. having people be able to do your hair. Like, that's crazy. Like, you're on yeah. the show and you're going to look busted. So you now have to take time or do all the stuff to like make sure that your hair looks good. And it still yeah. happens to this day. Like, 
it's it's insane. Just like the smallest things that you know most people don't have to think about. People of color have to think about those kind of things, you know. And unfortunately, because we have such small opportunities when they do arise, you have to the weight of carrying the entire group on your back when you should just be able to just like kind of represent yourself and you can't do that. It sucks, you know? For sure. Um, talking about hair, there's a Chris Rock documentary called Good Hair that it's is crap. Yeah. Yeah. You should get beat with a bat. Oh. Oh, it's that bad? It's that bad. So Chris okay. Rock my bad. If I'm <laughs> I'm just a stupid white guy who lives in Indiana, so if there's any issues, please tell me. (laughs) The thing that kills me is that you have Chris Rock. He goes and does this documentary. He learns about the industry, which at the time, it was a really good, like, shining a light on some of the things that do happen in the hair industry. Yeah. But he still has so much bias about, even about black women, about black women and black hair, and still that thought of like what's good hair what's bad hair kind of thing so like I think in his mind he was trying to make a good effort but it was still so flawed and like problematic like we watched it um during the pandemic my family and I watched it and I was like oh cringe like, oh really it was that bad real cringy um but I think from a white people perspective it's probably eye-opening because White, a lot. I think black people and other marginalized groups know so much about white people, and white oh, people yeah. know so little about every other group. So oh, I think it was yeah. probably a good introduction, not knowing like the vast, big industry that black hair is. Believe me, I, I know that ignorance. In the town where I live in, it's <laughs> like it's it's horrible. Like like. It's better today than it was at various points in history, but this town was known as a sundown town, if you're familiar with the term. Yeah, that's how fucked up this town was. It was kind of an unofficial uh, sundown town until, like, the early 90s, too. That's how, like, ass-backwards the area I'm in. So, like, a lot of the media that I enjoyed growing up, I'm just kind of looking at now, like, man, I'm a fucking shithead for living (laughs) in this place. (laughs) Well, the good thing is that you can recognize it. I I think... And look, I'm I'm a black woman, and I'm like looking back at some of these movies that I loved. loved. Like I watched Billy Madison all the time, and when we rewatched it, I was like, "Oh, who (laughs) was this girl?" (laughs) I was like, "Were you in the sunken place?" Because what the hell were you laughing at in this movie? It's bad. Yeah. Um. (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah, there, there's a whole ton of, like, stuff going on in that movie, though, admittedly, it probably doesn't get as bad as some of the other Adam Sandler movies that go past it, right? <laughs> I, I'd say. <laughs> you know um, what kills me is Adam Sandler, like, one of his first jobs in his career was on The Cosby Show. Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it, that... Uh, I, I know we're not supposed to say the Cosby name anymore. I get it. I get why. But at the same time, like, would you think that he kind of is brought into the inter- entertainment industry through, like, a very 
uh, a show that is very dedicated to showing respectable black community members. And so much of his humor can resolve around humiliating black people. It's a, it's a frustrating thing. Um, yeah. I've yeah. been a big, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to no, interrupt. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, I've been a big Adam Sandler fan uh, over the years, but I, I'm a fan of his drama now more than anything because I think his drama is so pointed in the way his comedy hasn't been for so long. Uh, please go on with your thought that you no, were trying no, to No, no, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, honestly, Adam Sandler has so much power, right? Like, yeah. Netflix literally gives him whatever he wants to do. He just he, he made a whole movie that was just him fucking off on a stand-up tour. That was just him being anxious about going to do a stand-up tour. <laughs> He's the biggest goddamn comedian in the world. <laughs> he literally just has so much power. <laughs> He's the perfect example of just a he doesn't probably think that he has racial bias and stuff like that. Um, but he continues to just take his handful of friends and just continue to make movies with them. But I think he thinks that everything's fine because he can always, you know, use Chris Rock as like, oh, well, I have a black friend and he's that one black person in my movie or whatever. I'm really nervous to, to watch the rewatch the whole nine yards. Oh, I, oh, I, I feel oh, like God. all the Adam Sandler movies are probably going to just be problematic after one after the other. But I well, talked about this when we were doing Billy Madison. I was just like, he has the opportunity to have so much diversity. And yeah. he doesn't have to, but he, the fact that he has the opportunity to and he just like Chris Rock, that's it. I uh, I also want to mention Spanglish as being an outlier in the Adam Sandler filmography. But that, uh, I think that's different because those drama movies are not his movies. Yeah, that is. Um, I think that's a James L. Brooks associated production, and uh, you know James L. Brooks is one of the one of the great movie and TV people over the past 30 and 40 years. He's been involved in Taxi, The Simpsons, Something's Gotta Give, just just great drama, comedy drama things. And I, I think that's a good thing for Adam Sandler to be focusing on is comedy and drama. And uh, even if he does have comedy, I wish he would... He does have so much power, okay? So if he has this much power... He can bring some trans people into his writer's room. He can bring some black people into his writer's room, some Hispanic people into his writer's room. And they can they can make the shitty, gross jokes they want to make that they don't ever get to make. And they could do it about white people. It'd be awesome. I think people get scared because they think that sharing power means that they lose power. And that's not what yes. happens. You know, like, I'm not, you know, trying to tout that every, you know, there's going to be white stories that white people should tell about, but everything is white, everything. Yeah. So just cutting a little bit of bigger slice is not going to kill anybody. No, no, it is not. Um, I kind of want to wrap this up soon, but I did want to ask you, what are some of your favorite animated films that you've gone through on your show? Well, we haven't done a bunch of animated shows, uh, movies yet. We did Lilo and Stitch, which is what a great film. Yes, Jackie, that's her favorite, and we're about to do Anastasia. 
I um, love Anastasia. So excited about that. Um, I'm trying to think like which one I'm the most excited to do. Um, probably Spirited Away. Yes. Because that falls in our time period, which is exciting. Um, you could also do Kiki's Delivery Service. That's like a 90s movie that I'm sure was at Blockbuster. A hundred percent. Trying to think what other one. I love this movie, Meet the Robinsons, but it's outside of our time frame. It's like uh, my favorite. That's a, that's a real weird outlier in the Disney canon. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're the only person I know who's ever been like, yeah, I love Meet the Robinsons. It makes me cry. I love that movie so much. I don't, I just, something about it warms my heart. Um, so, yeah, I try to think of, oh, we've done, we did Toy Story, um, which is one of my favorite and we did Monsters, Inc. Okay, so we have done... <laughs> it just took me a while. So we did Monsters, Inc. And surprisingly, it was the first time I saw it, and I loved it. Um, yeah. It was really good. And uh, Toy Story is always, like, number one for me. I love all the Toy Story movies, even when they're not so great. Yeah, I like uh, I like Monsters, Inc. quite a bit, too. And uh, I think that... I think they've never done with that property what I've wanted them to do, which is just... Show me Boo. Like I want to, I want to see the two people reunite. I don't care about monsters going to college <laughs> or, <laughs> or going or to work. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, I'm sure there are stories to tell there, but I, I really think they've been skirting around the one thing that everybody from that who's a fan of that movie actually wants out of it. <laughs> I I love the Pixar um like theories and stuff. That was really fun to do those deep dives when we did Monsters Inc. and Toy Story. Are you a are you a fan of the Pixar moms? <laughs> <laughs> I saw uh, I saw some stuff about that too, which <laughs> as well. Um, I am excited to do The Incredibles and also um, Shrek, which isn't obviously that's DreamWorks, but yeah, um, from an animation standpoint, I don't like Cars. I I talked really Cars is weird as shit. I don't like Cars either. Yeah, I talked a lot of trash about it on the Monsters, Inc. episode <laughs> or trailer yeah. that we did. Um, but, yeah. And I hear I hear Cars 2 is actually the fun one of those movies and has, like, a good parody of James Bond stuff happening. But I can't make myself watch it. okay this has been so fun danielle i appreciate you so much for coming on to my little show my little vanity project it's such a pleasure to give you an opportunity to promote your podcast do you have anything else you want to say about the podcast any upcoming movies that you're excited to promote um well first i just want to thank you for inviting me on the show it's so nice like I love that we're in a pod group together and yeah support each other um and we get to like it feels like we got to meet face to face essentially so I thank you for that um if you just love nostalgia and you want to laugh and listen to two friends goof off and talk about 90s and 2000s movies then yeah then you should check us out right now we're in the midst of spooky season so we have a ton of like 
different horror movies. So um, we have some fun ones coming up. We are we just released Seven, and then we have De- um, Demon Knight coming out, um, and Valentine and Jeepers Creepers for the rest of the month. So a lot of making fun of really bad <laughs> horror movies. Yeah, totally. I feel that. You you mentioned the Demon Knight movie, and I haven't thought about that thing in so long. Oh, my God. <laughs> that thing used to be on the TV all the time. And, like, I never really liked it, but it was just something I would watch because it was <laughs> insane. Very entertaining, I will say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was entertaining. <laughs> oh, shit. Thank you so much for being on Conversations with Robbie Sherman. Danielle, it's been a pleasure. I'm Robbie Sherman. Good night, everybody. Good night.